right, welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. See you come off a five and a week, so it's good to be here. It's good to have Jonathan Wagner back. It's good to have Scott Lorbatcher. I'm back on my iMac, so if I'm uh, going in and out on the broadcast, I apologize. Uh, my internet connection, for some reason, or my iMac cannot handle a live broadcast, but we're going to figure out a way to do this. I'm Stephen Igo. We're talking ECU baseball. We do this every Monday night. It's 9 o'clock, but really it's 8 o'clock because time changes suck. Um, as always, like, subscribe, follow all of us on Twitter for all your latest information. Uh, we know that uh, 25 Secret Squirrel 25 is the best Twitter handle in the land. Uh but uh, yeah, any 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 questions? Drop them in the uh, comments. We'll get to them throughout the show. But guys, five and a week couldn't have asked for anything better. If you're an East Carolina Pirate fan, uh, Scott, we'll start with you since you were here last week. No disrespect, Wags. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we we all predicted four and one. I think no no Wags. Uh, we'll get to you in a minute. <laughs> Me and you predicted four and one. Wags predicted three and two. So they surpassed even our expectations. They did. Um... They made it close. They tried to lose that first game to Queens, but they pulled it through, and then the rest of the week they kind of cruised on in. So, yeah, I thought what a great weekend series they had. Um, you know, Liberty was kind of the perfect team for what they've been going through at the plate, a team that made them be patient. So it was good to see them be patient, draw 427 walks in one weekend, and you know, really put the bat on the ball when they did throw it over the plate. Yeah, I was trying to come up with a title for the show or some sort of catchy title. I couldn't do it, but I guess I could have just talked about setting what I, I think, without doing any research, is the walk record for uh, in a weekend for ECU baseball. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Um, we'll get to, to more of that in a minute. But, Wags, you had them at 3-2 and two this past week. We always close the show with predictions. 3-2, and two, man. You were really uh, selling them short. Well, you know, when – when we log off every night after this podcast, the three of us, we stick around and we, we talk a little for a little bit. And, you know, I go, it's usually you that are, that's, I would say, less optimistic one with these predictions. And I think we talked two weeks ago about how, you know, maybe you need to start picking first. And maybe, maybe you're responsible for my internet going out last week. And so I had to comment on the YouTube, my prediction, but really I just, yeah, I mean, getting into it, you know, midweeks, you never really know what to expect, especially with those kinds of teams. It just it never seems to go well. So I, I figured EC would drop one of those. And just because it's a midweek and it's baseball, and it happens sometimes. And Liberty, at least so we thought, was a quality team coming in. And I thought they would put up a little bit more of a fight than they did. And so I figured they would lose one midweek, one weekend. But I'm very glad to be wrong. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see who's who's the less – optimistic one predictions at the end of the show we know somebody has to step up and provide the motivation so we'll see who it is um yeah i, I was telling y'all before we we get got started i don't really have a plan for this show we are getting some questions we'll jump on, jump to those quickly one of those uh is about the denver broncos which nobody cares about um <laughs> it does have a crossover with scott's 49ers so maybe we'll talk about that but uh TJ uh, has a question about Liberty, which we'll get into. But let's talk about the midweek games first, guys. Just like we all predicted, Queens, the toughest opponent of the week. Uh, I don't think any of us were there. 
And it was, for me, it was the most maddening, uh, the most maddening way to watch a game. Watching it without an announcer, I, I guess I take it for granted. And I tried to do the old sync up, but couldn't get it working. But watching a baseball game with no volume, I had to concentrate so much that it made my head hurt. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just a weakling. I don't know. Um, Wags, how did how did you uh, take in this game? Yeah, I had the ESPN Plus broadcast up, but also no sound. But I pulled up the ninety four three feed with Scooter and Coach O on the TuneIn app on my phone, and it actually worked out just about perfectly for me because I would watch the play happen, and you know three out of four times, you really didn't know what happened. You just saw the ball go somewhere. The camera wasn't really on it because it was a crappy uh, video feed. And it worked out perfectly for me because the radio feed was just one pitch behind. So even if I watched something happen and I didn't know what happened, Scooter would just tell me right afterwards. Scott, did you enjoy the broadcast? Yeah, I did a play-by-play for my wife for like an inning, and I was like, I, I'm not cut out for this. Um, so Scooter's job is officially safe for me, at least. Um, yeah, I, I, we they could have at least just given us sound. Like just, you know, the stadium sound would have been fine, right? Like, But instead we got just dead quiet. So, yeah, that was fun. I think I just ended up pulling up the um, the game tracker thing from, the, from ECU site just so I could make sure I didn't miss anything. But – yeah, it was a weird way to watch a game. That was probably the best pitching performance against us all year by uh, – what was that guy's name? Um, I've already forgotten. Um, but uh, shout out to dude from Queens. It doesn't matter. He is Lance Lynn, according to uh, <laughs> one of our fans. I see that. He did um, kind of remind me of Lance Lynn. I was actually texting Dan about it during the game. Like nothing fancy. Uh, just came right after you with some movement and – Dude, the guy pitched the game of his life, so you like have to give him kind of credit. Uh, Philip wants to know thoughts on the Queens pitcher throwing 129 pitches. It was even more egregious because he had thrown Friday and Saturday in relief, and then he started on Tuesday, and he throws 129 pitches, which is just insane. So, look, Queens, they went for it. Congrats to them for almost winning. Yeah, for sure. I see uh, Michael Robbins in the, uh, the chat here. I saw him throw, I think, 211 pitches at uh, Lewisburg College in a summer league game. So it was his last game he ever pitched. So, uh, you know, maybe this guy was like, you know what, I'm not playing at the next level. Maybe he will, but just go out there and do it, you know. Sometimes that's just just something you got to do. His name is Daniel Bagwell. We can't go this whole podcast without saying his name. Trying to see. All right, so he came back. <laughs> All right, so I got his uh, bio up here. He came back on March 11th. What would that have been? Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. Yep. He came back on Saturday on three days rest and uh, pitched against UNC Greensboro. After throwing 129 pitches, he went one inning, gave up four runs on four hits. <laughs> of course he did. I think Queens. I see his bio during the game, and it was like, did not play, played in one game. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's tough, by the way. Queens, they played UNC Greensboro. They lost 14-9, 17-7, and 10-4. So, well, Billy Godwin's teams can always hit, so you can count on that. Did we expect anything else? Yeah. 
three and twelve on the <laughs> year, but hey, they gave ECU their their uh, their best game of the week. All right, we got a ton of questions rolling in, so let's get to these. Uh, don't want you guys to get left. Uh, again, we'll kind of hit pieces of the week here and there. Uh, just kind of we'll kind of let you guys carry the conversation. We'll start with TJ Dunn. Uh, he says, "Do y'all think the Liberty series was more ECU winning or Liberty not playing as well?" I'm not gonna lie; I was pretty disappointed by Liberty, but I do think more than anything, it was a combination of ECU playing well for the most part and Liberty just having an awful weekend. John, what did you think? Yeah, I think um, it's it's definitely a little bit of both, and I kind of I look back to opening weekend, and I think something I said then was. I truly think that had more to do with ECU's at-bats than it did George Washington's pitching. And this week, I think maybe on Friday, that wasn't the case. I really think that was more Liberty's pitching just couldn't find the zone. And in the end, you can credit at least some of it all back to the bats. That's how baseball works. But, I mean, really, I do think it's a combination of both. Liberty was disappointing. They were awful at the plate. And except for that one guy, I think that Jalen guy, their center fielder, he just kept ripping doubles down the left field line. That guy was good, but and their leadoff guy was good, but that was it. Their at bats were not good. Swings and miss pretty much any ball. And ECU's pitching did a good job, but his bats were not good. But I, I do think it was a little bit of both. But in the end, I, I'm going to credit ECU because I don't think you come into a weekend like that against a team that I think all three of us were giving some respect to. And we at, going in, we thought it was deserved. And, you know, it's a quality club. And I still think they're going to be a quality club. They've seen some struggles. They struggled this weekend. But, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. But credit VCU. Liberty now 7-8 and eight on the year. Six of those losses uh, to ECU and Southern Miss, both of whom they were swept by two top 25 teams. So, you know, Liberty's been a regional team the past three years. For ECU's sake, you hope they turn it around and have a good year. Um, Scott, do you think this Liberty team is – you know, not that we're Liberty experts, but uh, do you think this Liberty team you know, can be a regional team again or is this just going to be a down year or can this be a great series win for the Pirates? Yeah, I don't know a lot about the A-Sun. Uh, and, you know, Florida Gulf Coast is now in the top 25. That's about it. Um, so they do have – they. I don't think they'll be – I don't think they'll win that league. You know, obviously conference tournaments are kind of hit or miss. Um, so it's, it's hard to say for sure if they will be a regional team on their own merits just based off this weekend. Because if I'm basing it off of the three games I saw plus the half of the Duke game that I watched, probably not. Um, you know, they, it seems like they can't throw enough strikes. And then they're, you know, they have trouble at the plate. You know, I don't think they had a ton of guys hitting over 250. So – if you can't hit and you can't pitch, it's going to be really hard to to compete, which, you know, maybe when they get into league play, things aren't going to be quite as difficult for them. You know, I don't know how many A-Sun Friday night guys are throwing 93-94 and how many A-Sun Sunday guys are doing what Josh Groves did to them. Yeah, and I thought their Friday night guy had good stuff. Again, just couldn't throw strikes. Really, all their starters were that way. Even their Sunday guy was throwing 92, 93. He just couldn't find the plate. So, I mean, if they can get to a strike-throwing position as a staff, I think they'll be okay. Um, you know, Chris Lehman adds, Liberty is up and coming. They will have some stumbles, but ECU took advantage of the mistakes by Liberty, and those are marks of a good team. Yeah, I mean, definitely give all the credit to ECU for 
taking advantage of the 35 walks, um, which is or 34, whatever it was, just insane amount of walks. Uh, Liberty, by the way, this week, Wake Forest, still frauds in my mind, Absolutely. Uh, in the midweek after they go 2-2 two and two with a loss to Coastal. We said it as soon as they started playing real teams. Uh, they did win the series at Duke and, and rose in the polls. Uh, Scott, we'll get your take on that in a minute. <laughs> they love uh, love that. Uh, but Liberty then goes to Florida Gulf Coast. So they are in a brutal stretch. It'll be interesting to see how they do against the uh, the ranked Eagles this coming weekend. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on Wake Forest later unless, unless you want to do it now. Let's just do it now. All right. <laughs> we're going to hate on Wake Forest every week on this podcast because we're going to manifest – an East Carolina Wake Forest Super Regional. Uh, uh, Scott, your thoughts on the Demon Deacons' first 500 week? Yeah, I mean, you look at our two and two week compared to their two and two week. We we won two games convincingly. Um, I think they won one of theirs convincingly, and the other one was close against Duke. Uh, and then obviously they lost by a lot to Duke. They went on the road and lost at Coastal in a fairly close game. And it, so they did that. They went two and two. Um, they went up one spot in the polls. Uh, we went two and two. We beat Indiana, t- an Indiana team that has 10 wins. I don't know who they're against. They have 10 wins. Um, and we beat a Georgetown team that is, I, I mean, I don't know how good they are. They're probably not very good. But um, but we lost to a Long Beach State team that on Tuesday went to UCLA and played them in a really close game. They're a really good baseball team. I think anybody who has watched Long Beach State, which I'm sure – um, the guys at D1 have probably not all done that yet. And we went on the road to Duke and lost in an afternoon game when it's really hard to see there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you look at our two and two week and us moving down and their two and two week and then moving up, those two weeks are really comparable, um, almost to the point where it doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless the reasoning behind it is you didn't want five SEC teams in the top five. And I think yeah. That's that's probably right. Um, Stanford saved Wake Forest from dropping to like seventh. Yeah, we know so, D- yeah. D1 baseball has been on Wake Forest for like eight years now. So like they're just going to keep being on them until they finally win so they can say they were right. Uh, Dave wants to know Riley Johnson's status. Uh, Riley did come back. He played defense late Saturday. Um, I was half asleep in the press box at that point, but I'm pretty sure it was Riley Johnson. So he should be okay. Um, kind of crashed into the wall in that early game, but I think he'll be fine with a couple days rest. And he's had a really good few few games at the plate, and that was a great play. So glad to see um, see him be okay, it looks like. But we'll see if he's in the lineup tomorrow at UNCW. Chris says, can you, uh, can you guys suggest to the powers that be to get more former players to be color guys on the broadcast? Spencer Brickhouse was great. Um, I was at the game, so I didn't see uh, what Brickhouse said or how he he did, but I've heard him in the past, and I think he does a quality job. Uh, Scott, I think you watched the broadcast. How was how was Spencer? Oh, he did he did great. Um, it was it was it was really cool to hear an inside perspective. I think he dropped some nuggets about the safety dance being um, the product of Chris Holba, and uh, he talked about how they don't like the pinstripe jerseys because they're itchy, um, which was news to me um maybe you all knew that but um so yeah now we know why they don't wear the pinstripes when they're the best looking uniforms in college baseball it's because they're itchy so that was cool um i thought he did a really really good job um 
you know, it seemed like the first couple innings, maybe he was a little bit nervous to be on there. And then by the time the game ended, he was he was in his groove. So he did a great job. Lonnie Chisenhall last week did a really good job as well. Um, it is nice to have, to mix in some guys with a little different perspective. Obviously, Coach O has a vast amount of knowledge as well, so don't want to leave him out either. All right, Dave uh, comes back. He says, with Ryan McChrystal starting expected? Uh, I, you know, I'll say Brian McChrystal playing on Tuesday was completely unexpected. Did I text you guys pregame to say he, like, may be back by the end of the week? That yeah, was, was like, like what an, I was an hour before the game, and then he comes yeah. in and does that. Yeah. Yeah, and then he ends up coming off the bench and getting a hit. And it just sounds like it's going to be something they have to manage, but they're going to try to work through it. Uh, Jonathan, what did you think of McChrystal? And obviously, it was great to see him back. Yeah, it was really good to see him back. And I think for me, um, before, even b- before you texted us before the game and said that he might be, you know, nearing that return, you know, I- I'm at almost every home game, at least most Fridays and Saturdays. And first couple weeks of the season, Ryan McChrystal was pretty much non-existent when the team takes infield outfield before BP. And if he is there, he is not in uniform or he's not in, not wearing a jersey, just pretty much in the equivalent of what sweats would be in basketball. And he's just there kind of watching, taking it in. And last weekend, Ryan McChrystal was there in full uniform, in pads. He wasn't taking part in and out, but he was there. He was throwing. He was catching bullpens. He was the guy warming up pitchers in between innings on the field when Justin Wilcoxon was trying to get back. So you kind of thought, you know, he's probably not doing that if they're still trying to really ease him back into catching. But, yeah, Tuesday, and I actually got – one of my friends was at the game, and he texted me. He said, McChrystal. And that's, he said, all caps, McChrystal. And I said, there, there's no way. And I looked back at Igo's text, and I think I texted you guys, and I said, McChrystal. I think I said the same thing. And then what do you know? Ryan McChrystal comes in the game, and he does that. It was really nice to see him come in. I think all three of us have kind of been calling for a day off for Justin Wilcoxon. And McChrystal back in whatever capacity allows you to do that. Obviously, I don't expect Ryan McChrystal to come in and start three games a week. I don't expect him to be in the lineup three games a week, but I think maybe you start him at catcher one game a week, probably on a weekend, maybe Saturday, split it up a little bit, and maybe you DH him one more game, two more games, if he's able to. I think it's all, like you said, I go, it's all pain tolerance at this point, but just having him back gives you so much more flexibility. If you need to give Justin Wilcoxon a day off, you can do it now, and that's assuming McChrystal stays the but it was really nice to see, and he came through in a, with a couple of big hits over the week. And if his back can be what we expected it to be, and he has a cannon of an arm, let me add. I don't know. I don't know how he is fully on defense. Uh, I haven't seen enough of him just to know. But watching him throw on Saturday, that that dude has a cannon of an arm. The real question is, Scott, does it count as a day off for Justin Wilcox and if he had to catch the first <laughs> game of a doubleheader but got the night off? At least he did get a game off. He got Sunday off, so I guess Sunday counts as a day off. But uh, it's just good to not see Justin Wilcox and catch every single game this year for the Pirates. Oh, 100%. You know, you look at that first weekend he had when he had fresh legs and what he can do. And then you kind of see it start to wear on him. And then I felt like he kind of busted back out this weekend when he he got a day off. And 
we're in this stretch where we have, you know, five games a week for, you know, last week and this week. So you don't want him to have to catch, what, whatever, five, 45 innings. There's some math in my head real quick. But you don't want him to catch 45 innings. And if we can get a lead, we can, you know, maybe get him out in the fifth or sixth inning in some games. And obviously there's not a big drop-off um, to McChrystal because I think he's hitting 500 now. He dropped his average down a few uh, – few hundred points over the last couple of bats for him. But, um, you know, Wilcox is still leading this team in batting average despite all that. So anytime we can get him rest and get him off his feet a little bit earlier, I think it's a good thing to keep him healthy throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, I think uh, I think if you can get him to catch one game a week from a crystal, you're feeling pretty good. You know, that gives Wilcox and – one blow a week, and you can maybe DH, give McChrystal when there are some pinch hit opportunities. So hopefully McChrystal stays healthy. Um, I feel like Lucy Jones and John Wilson are the same person. He's just commenting to himself <laughs> in the comment section. Uh, that may be uh, – <laughs> we know that really Lucy Jones is buck wild, and if you're a Hoist the Colors member, you know how uh, funny and crazy buck wild can be. So uh, he is back. And he's leaving his comments in the comment section. Go, go check that out. We'll answer any serious comments uh, throughout the show, uh, which we are going to do now. Chuck says he asked a Broncos question. By the way, he asked, why didn't the Broncos sign Jimmy Garoppolo? Um, Scott, you're a 49ers fan. I'll be honest. I've been busy today. I did see the Broncos are signing like everybody. They've signed two offensive linemen. They signed, uh, what's his name, Stidham. So, obviously, they got Russell Wilson. So, I think they're pretty set. I don't think they need Garoppolo. Um, is Jimmy G going to be a Niner next year? I mean, there's no way, right? No, I think he signed with uh, Vegas. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So, I think I saw that earlier today. I remember first day of free agency. So, Vegas signing Jimmy G. Wow, what a great match. Uh, How inconvenient for him that they moved from Oakland when he could have just stayed living where he was <laughs> had they just simply kept the team in Oakland. That is true. That is true. Jimmy G, as a Broncos fan, Jimmy G on the Raiders does not scare me a single bit. Seeing as uh, the greats, I can't even remember the damn coach's name now because he was so bad. Uh, he was able to beat the 49ers this past season, week two on Sunday Night Football. Oh, Nathaniel yeah. Hackett uh, was able to beat to them. advantage in the playoffs. We lost to Nathaniel Hackett in week two. Um, but he wants to know, is the weekend rotation set with your Savage, Groves, and Spivey? I mean, they keep pitching like this. Hell yeah. I mean, Wags, at this point, I don't think you can ask for much more. Yeah, and I think um, – I had this conversation this weekend, but I think it's really interesting just to kind of look, of look at where this rotation is and where it came from. Beginning of the year, you know, you projected it was going to be Spivey on Friday and, you know – you Savage maybe is in there. You figured Gross is on Sunday, but you really didn't know if you Savage was going to. I didn't expect him to be in the rotation to start out, and he was. And now he's, I think, one of the best pitchers in the country, pure stuff-wise. And, I mean, he's dominating. And you Savage, he's a true Friday night ace. Uh, you Savage is what I I've, I think I've, I've been saying about Josh Gross. He's a Friday night ace before he leaves here. Trey Savage is already that. And, and now Josh Gross, the past two outings he's had, he's been downright dominant as well. And now the only – I think at this point in time, and things can change really with one outing, but the only real question – I hate to say question, but I feel like I've seen more chatter on, you know, should Spivey go back to the bullpen? 
And could you give him that, you know, ultimate closer role or ultimate bullpen role like he was in last year and maybe bring a guy like Zach Root in. But to me, I think Spivey, his numbers are a lot worse than what he's actually pitched. He's a lot better than his numbers. And his numbers aren't really that bad when you look at him. He's a lot of the hits he's given up have been weak contact, you know, kind of bloopers into the outfield, slow rollers through the infield, infield hits. He has a five in his outings. And this weekend, I mean, you, you saw all three of those guys do what they do what they did. They're still and I go on about his six innings. I think there's a little wiggle room there to maybe get that you know, get a little more of a put-away pitch. I think all three guys can do a little bit a better job of this. But, you know, maybe put-away guys earlier in counts. A lot of times they get 0-2 counts, and then maybe they work it back to 2-2. You foul off a couple, and then you're throwing 10 pitches in that bat. But, you know, I think all three of those guys can probably do – a. there's a little bit of room for growth there. You know, maybe put-away guys sooner, lower your pitch counts, go even deeper into ball games, And then at that point it doesn't really matter who's in your bullpen if you're going six, seven innings a game. And, but to, to me, I think you savage gross and spivey. I think that's your rotation. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it is certainly not broken right now. Yeah. This past weekend, uh, the first time since 2019 against Maryland, ECU's had three starters complete six innings. That was the same weekend. Jake Kuchman threw his perfect game. I think it was Agnos and Tyler Smith. Also, uh, those weekends went deep into the games. All right, Dan Hunt's got a good follow-up here. Former HTC intern Dan Hunt back in the day, OG. Um, I would love to see Spivey move back to super reliever. I like that term, super reliever. I like that. That's the word I was looking for, super reliever. Yeah, and have someone else filling in a Sunday role. Uh, Grows to Saturday, but that might be a pipe dream. You know, I, I think I agree with Wags. Like right now, you roll with it. I think Spivey wants to be a starter. But I could see this potentially happening later in the season. Uh, Scott, just your thoughts on, you know, do you do you see this as a viable possibility? And if so, you know, who do you consider for that third role? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a possibility um, if, if Spivey can't get guys out. But right now, you know, he gave up seven hits in his last two starts. But if you look at those hits, they're not like people just crushing the ball off of them. They're just balls that are finding the gap. So he's pitching the contact. And when you have a team that is, uh, you know, they make 98% of plays, I think our fielding percentage is at 98, uh, 0.980 right now. So that's what you want. You don't want to overthink it. You want to just get the ball on the ground and, you know, throw guys out at first all the time. So I don't really have a problem with the way Spivey's pitched. I think you're right. I think it's I, – I wish we had advanced stats so we get, like, batting average on balls and play and, you know, stuff like that and average exit velocity, all those kind of fun things. But – um I would say Spivey right now, his batting average on balls and plays, uh, balls and plays, probably way higher than you know what the national average is. I think just balls are just dropping in. Um, but if we did have someone to move in the rotation, obviously Zach Root would be that guy. Um, he leads the team in ERA right now. I think he's given up one run in like 15 innings. I mean, so and he's done that as you know the super reliever. So do you really want to flip those guys and risk you know Spivey not finding? Um, you know, his form from last year in, in a relief role again and Root maybe not doing as well as a starter as he's done in that reliever role. I mean, I think he would, but, you know, the more you 
tinker, the more likely are you to to mess something up. All right, we got men's uh, basketball questions rolling in. We got women's basketball questions rolling in. We'll we'll try and get to those as well. Um, we will, by the way, we'll talk to John Gilbert later this week. Um, should I get him on this format to see how he does? Yeah. <laughs> I got questions. Uh, yeah, I'll try. athletic director John Gilbert. By the way, did one time during the uh, eight-hour Houston rain delay, took questions on the Hoist of Colors message board. Uh, that was quite a day back in the day, so that was fun. Um, all right, Dave wants to know, will the Liberty Series continue next year or is this a one-off weekend schedule? I don't know, Dave. I'll try and follow up. I do know that these two teams have scrimmaged every year in the past. Scott Jackson and Cliff Goblin are good friends. And so either if they if they don't play a return series, I think they'll at least go back to scrimmaging each other. So um, I would definitely expect Liberty and ECU to continue to play each other, whether it's a regular season or not. We'll see. Maybe we see them in the Leclerc Classic one year. I think it would be a good road series for ECU to play. I mean, uh, I think they need some good, good weekend road series and non-conference play especially with the way the league is trending. Um, we can maybe touch on that later. All right, let's get to some of these more questions. All right. <laughs> we got to address this. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, Buddy Martinez wants to know our thoughts on New Orleans and Mississippi Valley State. This was the game where the umpire should be fired, in my opinion. And I don't say that lightly. I just think legitimately, if your job as the umpire is to uphold the integrity of the game as your number one job, and you let your personal emotions overcome that objective, you should not be an umpire. Like, that's the point of the job. So if you didn't see it, look it up. Uh, Strike two was called probably a ball. You know, batter didn't help himself by reacting like a fool. But at the same time, the umpire either could have stopped play and warned him or ejected him. Instead, the umpire didn't really do anything. He just called him out on a ball that was at least a foot and a half outside and close to the dirt and just walked off the field. Um, so, I don't. I mean, I guess we'll just get you guys' take on it. I thought it was an absolute joke. Uh, Cliff Galvin would be in jail if this happened. <laughs> um, so, uh, it's happening in Greenville. I yeah, couldn't you guys see, so it's not a home run. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess it is pretty bad, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't know. I mean, clearly that guy, should, he's not a Division One umpire, right? Which I don't think Mississippi Valley State is a Division One. I think they're NIAA or something like that. Um, I don't know if you see Michael's comment. I did get rung up on strike two one time. That was awesome. Um, Cat went from 3-0 to 2-2. Um, not sure how that happens, but at least I was in high school. Also, in an 18-under game, I um, got hit by a pitch. The umpire said it didn't hit me. I had a giant red mark across my forearm. And then he called me out on a pitch that was about the same as this one got, uh, this guy got called out on. And then I got ejected. So, um, yeah, um, all umpires are evil, um, and they all deserve to be in jail. Wags, uh, did you enjoy, enjoy this highlight? It, it, it was enjoyable in the fact that, you know, it was entertaining. But, I mean, and and you can look at – I saw some arguments that, oh, this it didn't really matter. They were down seven to three, whatever it was, in the top of the ninth with two outs. But, I mean, 
I hate to keep using the same phrase that I use all the time, but I mean, that is baseball. And the guy at the plate, he may or may not, I know for a fact he does, he leads the all of college baseball on a stolen basis. So, I mean, say what you want about the play, but if that guy gets on base, you never know what can happen. So to take the game out of the player's hands and just decide it's over, yeah, the guy, maybe he shouldn't have reacted like that on strike two, but as an umpire, you, you can't respond to an emotional reaction with an emotional reaction. You have to shut it down, move on, address it when it happens, instead of holding it until the next pitch and taking it out on him. Just stupid. I agree. He should be. He should have been fired on the spot. I'm glad he suspended him definitely. And I hope he never umpires a game again at the college level. And, yeah, yeah just really embarrassing, honestly. But the entertainment value of it was pretty elite. It just seems like something's Something crazy is happening in college baseball every week like this, and I'm glad that more and more games are being televised because then, you know, these podcasts or these Twitter pages are tweeting about it. We all get to see it, just the absolute nonsense. Obviously, we were unfortunate victims of it uh, week one against Bryant last year when Will Cox hit a home run that didn't count when the team was sitting there celebrating a home plate. <laughs> How does that even happen? Uh, <laughs> but, you know uh, – I don't know, man. It was just embarrassing for the game and that umpire. I mean, just pathetic. Uh, all right, let's get back on track here. Otherwise, so we could talk about that. In the swag. That's my bad. I was wrong. They are one A. And Jerry Rice did go there to answer Josh's question. Okay. Oh, so what did we thought they were non-D1? I, I don't know. I thought, yeah, I was wrong. That's my bad. I'll take that. <laughs> e uh es on scott so uh he'll uh he'll try to rebound as we continue the show uh johnny robertson that guy during the five and a week the pirates did not allow a run in the seventh through the tenth innings as the bullpen <laughs> that way had a 0.00 era in 19 and third innings this first of all great step second off uh, this bullpen in a 5-0 and week, we didn't really see a ton of arms, guys. I mean, especially during the weekend, it was kind of unique that Wyatt Chinkman went three innings. Eric Ritchie went multiple innings. We didn't see Tyler Brott until the very end of the weekend. We, I know we saw him in the midweek as well, but for a, a thin bullpen, it was good to see, I guess, guys go multiple innings and the starters obviously go deep into games as well. And that's that's really the only way you're going to go 5-0. and you got to get some length in your in your pitching staff, right, Scott? Yeah, for sure. You know, what a what a boon to have um, three starters go 18 innings over a weekend to give you some relief after you played essentially an extra game this week. And then to have essentially no drop-off from those guys from the bullpen, you know, that that's pretty impressive. So, you know, having guys that you can rely on at the back end of games, you know, we can call them our, our bullpen is like a jewel pen, I guess. I don't know, but – you just get that hit and then keep on rolling. Nicely done. I see you trying to make up for your air. <laughs> <laughs> Wags, um, did anybody from the bullpen really, you know, impress you this weekend individually? Yeah, I think um, I mean, first of all, like we said, I mean, putting up those numbers without, you know, really Tyler Brought until the last inning of the weekend without I don't think Zach Root pitched this weekend either. But he did not. But so, I mean, doing that without really your top two guys, um, Shankman looked really good. I think we've seen Shankman look good 
this year, he's also had a couple outings where he's gotten hit. But, I mean, Shankman, I think, to me, was a big standout. Doing that on Friday, too, coming in three innings and setting yourself up for the weekend. At the time, you didn't know how the rest of the weekend was going to work out um, weather-wise. The plan at that time, I believe, was to play the game at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. I think that was the original plan. And they didn't make that decision until Saturday morning. And, you know, they decided to play a doubleheader. And that just made Shankman's outing that much more valuable. You avoided using one of your guys, and then you really didn't need to use your guys. Eric Ritchie came in. Eric Ritchie I was impressed by. He allowed a base runner his first at-bat, quick double play, got out of it. Garrett Saylor came in, and I thought Saylor looked good. And, I mean, but I think really Wyatt Lunsford Shankman was the real standout because I think he's probably in that tier of guys that's ready to step up into that next elite bullpen arm behind, you know, Tyler Brott, alongside Tyler Brott, Zach Root. You know, super reliever, you know, Wyatt Shankman, he can give you length. He can come in on Friday night in the ninth inning and give you a save, and I think I trust him now. He can come in midweek in the fifth inning when the bases are loaded and you're down by six, and I trust him to come in and shut things down. So Shankman, I think his the way he stepped up and really continued you Savage's dominant start, there is really it, that really stood out to me. Josh Hill says, what is the record with Cliff wearing glasses versus contacts this year? Uh, have we talked about Cliff Goblin wearing glasses on this podcast yet? I don't think we have. So I feel like nobody <laughs> expected this. Uh, I think the players didn't even expect it. He just rolled out there game one, like rocking some glasses. And obviously, if you're going to coach third base, you got to be able to see what you're doing. I myself got some reading glasses this year, uh, you know, starting to get some headaches. I was like, what's going on? Maybe some glasses will help. So maybe I should start wearing glasses. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start wearing glasses during the midst of this show here in a second. <laughs> um, thoughts, though, on Cliff wearing glasses. We don't even know if he wears contacts. I guess the games he hasn't, maybe he does, or maybe he just forgot his glasses. Um, we're breaking this down way too much, but – Either way, thoughts on Cliff Goblin's uh, specs? Yeah, so I saw uh, Buddy Martinez in here earlier. He used to wear glasses with just the frames and no lenses. So maybe that's what maybe Cliff saw him doing it around town and was like, "That's that's what I want to do. That's a cool look." <laughs> oh, there we go. All right, we got Stephen Cliff Godwin. I go here. Yep. <laughs> nice uh, Oakley glasses. I'll read the or I'll wear these while. Uh, we answer another question about Cliff. This is an ESI, by the way, on myself. I should have brought this up when we were talking about it. Uh, he asked, would Cliff Goblin have been t- tossed after the game was over if he had been coaching Mississippi Valley State? Absolutely. I mean, Cliff Goblin would have been tossed immediately. Uh, where would that ejection rank all time for Cliff? The, the, the real question is, would, would Cliff Goblin coach another game no. if that happened? <laughs> would he get a lifetime suspension or would it only be a one-gamer? I'm thinking how much are thrown, you know, like we have a full on, you know, you're stealing bases, you're throwing stuff onto the field. I think a helmet's thrown immediately, you know, whether it bounces, hits the umpire, you know, whatever it hits the umpire. Uh, no. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, number one and nothing ever top it. Like part of me, wants, but I don't, but there's part of me. That's... Scott, are you, uh, what do you think Cliff's reaction would have been? I think we'd find out whether there's uh, lenses in those glasses or not. 
Um, maybe we find out if they're transition lenses. I don't know. Maybe, do you think he wears transition lenses? That's the real question here. But um, yeah, I think you would have seen every, I think you would have heard it like through the TV broadcast. I think you would have heard the words that he said, and then he's in trouble with the FCC and um, the DEA and everybody else. So yeah, I think, I think it would have been a bad day for whoever was behind the plate had that happened to Cliff Dottenstein. Maybe we'll get to see it one day. We did see Cliff Gowden one time in the AAC tournament mock how low a pitch was to the Pirate and immediately got tossed as a result. <laughs> um, so, yeah. All right. ECU fan, he wants to know anybody going to Wilmington tomorrow? Are either of you guys going? I'm not. I will not be. I will not be there. Hopefully their plywood outfield wall holds up the whole game. They've never won when I've traveled there. I've been to a couple of games, so I'm, I'm I'm putting that one on the back burner. Hoist the colors, podcast crew fails yet again at uh, traveling. I will say tomorrow's the first day of spring practice. Got to be out there for football. Um, plus they they play four home games a row in a row the rest of the week. So busy week. Uh, but we are actually hoist the colors is sending two interns, so they'll be there. I will not. I probably should have got them on the podcast. Um, maybe we'll get them on next week to to break down the hopeful win. It seems like ECU always struggles at Wilmington, even if they win, like they just don't play a clean game. So maybe that maybe that'll turn this year. All right, Will Stafford says, "Do you expect to see Charlie Hodges anymore?" So I actually addressed this in the VIP chat earlier. By the way, we're running a special on the Hoist of Colors VIP. Uh, subscription starting tomorrow for spring practice, but also you can get the VIP chat. Uh, basketball transfer portal is about to be hopping, already is. So, subscribe to all that, be on the lookout for that if you're not a member. Uh, but we'll be running a special starting tomorrow. So, mm-hmm. I answered this in the VIP chat. Hodges is fine, they're just working through some mechanical things, uh, execution things. They like his stuff. They like him a lot. It's just they don't want to put him out there against live hitters until they feel comfortable with where he's at. So um, we could see him this week. I wouldn't rule that out. Has to be the right situation. But, Scott, I I think – like I've kind of forgotten about Charlie Hodges because we haven't seen him since the opener. But I still think this is a guy that can help ECU. Yeah. um, I have to see down the stretch. You know, I I agree. It's it's been a while since we've seen him on, on the mound. And in seven more games or so, we get Ginn back, and then you know he may move even further down the uh, the pecking order. So it's really hard to say. Um, I hope we see him some more. I hope we see everybody. You know, I hope we continue to win the way that we've been winning, so that um, we can get some of these younger guys more live experience. And hopefully, you know, I need to figure out what podcast Austin Knight listens to because. Um, I'm trying to see how he gets guys to just throw balls that just move all over the place. Yeah, I mean, that's – you look at Groza's stuff, and he's had good stuff, but I feel like it's taken an even bigger jump this year. Um, so whatever they did with him, when he throws strikes right now, man, he's unhittable. You know, knock on wood, home run ball is uh, – thus far has, has been pretty elusive there, outside yeah. of the, the one that – uh Honeycutt hit. And, you know, it's funny because home runs are, like, way up in college baseball right now. Um, there's there's talks of the ball being juiced or it's the pitch clock and all this kind of stuff. But, but, like, home runs are, like, double what they were per game from, like, four years ago. So, 
and our staff hasn't really been given up very many. So, you know, credit to, to Austin Knight for the um, improvements that he's made on the whole staff. I feel it wants to know, are we surprised UNC actually went through with the game reschedule? Uh, Ags, what are your thoughts here? I'm not going to say I was surprised that UNC went through. I think, I mean, there were, there were, I think there's a part of all of us that was kind of like, you know, is this game really going to be made up? But to me, that was more of logistics and where do you fit it? You figured it would be on a Wednesday, but with the ACC doing so many Thursday, Friday, Saturday weekend series, it's pretty much impossible to do a Wednesday midweek type of action because most of the time you're in action on Tuesday as well. So I think it was going to be difficult to fit it in. I'm glad they did. And I think to me, I think a lot of people were saying, you know, ECU shouldn't want to reschedule that because UNC is going to figure their bullpen out by the end of the year. I'll take another test in the middle of a, such a crappy conference, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but the American is just so awful. What's so, what's the bad thing about playing a quality top 10, 15 caliber team like Carolina late in the season right before you get into the postseason? I'm okay with that. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, we need to see good pitching, um, and we need our pitchers to see quality um, batters as well. Um, shout out to Philip, by the way. He made his first po- uh, post on Voice the Colors alert earlier today. Um, he is also my brother. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm not surprised they rescheduled. It seems like Cliff and their coach have a good relationship. It seems like they want this to be a marquee series in the state. Um, kind of props both of these teams up over that uh, Red School in Raleigh that won't play us um, on the weekend. Um, and it's, it's good for both fan bases. And, you know, after they got, um, you know, their serious loss against Virginia, they may need the, the RPI help for, you know, potentially a road win or a road game against the top 10 RPI team as well. So UNC that week, they play on Tuesday, I think Campbell, and then Wednesday, obviously the ECU game. They have the weekend off due to exams. So It'll be interesting to see what their pitching approach is. Do they throw like maybe their Friday starter for an inning or their Saturday guy for an inning? So you could see some interesting pitching matchups that day. I can't remember who ECU plays that weekend, um, but I believe that's in the middle of exams for ECU as well. So we'll be an interesting matchup as we get to May 3rd. And it should be great weather. should be a great ticket revenue day. And that's really a big reason why ECU uh... wanted to reschedule. We're at Cincinnati that weekend. Okay. So the old ECU Cincinnati rivalry. The team that we have played more than anybody over the last six years, the good old Bearcats of Cincinnati. Let's talk about the American guys. And if we can, why is it so bad? Like why, why? I mean, I just don't get it. Like how can Tulane and Houston suck in baseball? At least Tulane has a first-year head coach, but I'm just – it's just disappointing. It's just disappointing that we all text about the scores every day and it gets worse. It's not getting any better. Yeah. It was bad this week. The league went 9-19, and 19, um, not including ECU's 5-0. and 0, So they went 14-19 and 19 with us. And then on the weekend they went 5-15 and 15 
Cincinnati was lucky enough to have a game against Wofford canceled, so they didn't lose that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's Memphis is eight and eight. They have, I think, the third best non ECU record in the league, and their RPI is two fifty one. They lost six in a row. Um, Houston plays on a crap field. Cincinnati plays on a crap field. All turf fields are crap fields, by the way. So that's 100%. what. I mean. So every uh, team in America plays on a crap field. Yes. So. State won the national championship like in '88 or something like that with Joey Carter. They somehow, I don't know what happened to them. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. You're in like these talent-rich environments, and you're not getting the talent necessary not not necessarily to compete with us, right? Like I, we are very much an outlier in our league. Um, as far as resources and, um, you know, tradition and all that kind of stuff. But they're not competing with, like, A-Sun teams and Big South teams, They're you know, or Big West teams. Um, I think, well, Long Beach State owns the league now. I think they're 5-2 and two against the AAC. And Tulane went on the West Coast for a trip. You know, hopefully that's not them sneakily leaving us for the Pac-12. And they I don't even know if they won a game out there. But um, – yeah, it's, it is a shame because these are teams with names that people recognize that should be able to recruit better than, you know, Campbell, who is a top 20 team, you know. But Campbell would be probably the second best program in our league right now. So Dave makes a great point. I was going to bring this up. Um, he says, makes me nervous to keep hearing comments about how bad the American is. Feels like that will come back to bite us. Rat poison. All right, so yes, it is rat poison. If you're an ECU coach or player and you're listening to this, everything we're saying, ignore it. Also, um, ECU will get each of these teams' best shots. So, like, no matter how bad they are, and some of them are bad, (laughs) like, they're going to play like all Americans against ECU. So, ECU's dominated the league. They've got a target on their back. And no matter how bad these teams are, everybody has a good pitcher. Most of them have a, a really good hitter. So I'm not going to say ECU is going to go out and go 20-4 and four in the league again. I think it's just hard to win that many baseball games, even though they have multiple times uh, wag. So, yeah, I agree. Like, even as bad as the league looks, ECU would be the clear fa- favorite to win it. I still don't think it's a, a, a lock they're just going to go out there and run through the league. Like, Cincinnati always plays ECU tough. You have them six times. ECU has to go to Wichita, I believe. Uh, ECU usually struggles at Wichita, so it's not going to be easy, but it's just disappointing that these teams are struggling so bad in non-conference because that's going to hurt ECU at the end of the year. Yeah, it is it's it is really disappointing. And I look at a team like um, Cliff Godwin's favorite to win the American, um, South Florida. They started off the year, to me, so 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 nicely. I mean, their record didn't reflect it, but they played quality top 20 caliber teams. And I think they split a midweek two-game set with Florida, and they nearly won the second one too. And so after that, I was I was high on South Florida. I'm like, okay, maybe that's going to be the team that steps up. And they've since fallen off a cliff. But, I mean, to me, I think, I think it adds more pressure to ECU, honestly, just because you do – you, you mentioned, you know, is it going to come back to bite us? It very well could. And I think that adds more pressure on ECU to be pretty much perfect. 
And I think part of the reason ECU played so well and dominated the conference like they did last year is because they started the season, the non-conference, so poorly. They started off so bad, and everyone pretty much counted BC out of it. They're not making a regional this year. It's a down year. The team's done. Whatever, we'll see you next year. The team kind of took that. All right, we have no expectations anymore. So ECU came back out last year and rolled through it. But this year, I think the pressure's back on because now you want to get back to that regional host. You want to get back to that top eight seed if you can. But like I said, I, I really think <laughs> I really think you're going to have to be about perfect. And if you're not going to be perfect, then it's going to be really tough to get to where you want to be seed-wise. But you just have to play your baseball, control what you can control, classic cliche statement there. But it, it really does suck. And coaching changes, whatever. But something, something has to get better. It, it has to get better because it can't get any worse than it is right now. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, Chris asked, will the American be better in baseball next year with the new incoming teams? I, I think it will be, for sure. I think you know, eventually Tulane is going to get back to being good, but I think FAU is good in baseball. Rice, I think even though they're down, storied program, again, maybe they'll suck like all the other, all these other teams, but you would hope that eventually they get back. Uh, UTSA has played pretty good lately. Charlotte's good. So, like, I feel like the league will be better. And go back to being a multi bid league instead of just ECU and ECU carrying the entire league. Um, John, uh, you got something to add, Scott? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, you look back when we played Wichita, you know, it was like 2019 or whatever, and they had guys like Alec Bohm on their roster. And Houston had those, the pitchers they had a few years ago, guys that, you know, are future big leaguers. So, you know, right? Like, as a fan, that's what I care about. It's like, I want to see guys in college that I'm going to see play in the majors one day. And I don't know that uh, the other eight teams in our conference um, or seven teams in our conference yeah, seven, um, have those types of players anymore. And that, and that's, what's really disappointing to see. And they've all had, you know, really good players in the past. You know, Cincinnati had Kevin Euclid, right? Like, these are these are teams that have gotten guys before. It's just like I don't know why they're not getting them anymore. And it's really disappointing. All right, we got some great comments going on <laughs> in the comment section uh, from Buck Wild. If you want to check that out, read it. I just want to share this because I don't know if this is accurate. Um, Caleb, you just wanted to highlight some of the impressive numbers from the last week. I go has tweeted 156 times over seven days for a 2020 or 22.28 day average or 92.92 tweets per hour. Parentheses TPH. Um, is that from the hoist the colors account and my account, Caleb, or is that just my account? Because if it's from just my account, I need to quit tweeting so much and pay attention to my family. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's that's interesting. Appreciate you running those numbers. Uh, Johnny Gardner says, any reason for the William and Mary time change? Is it supposed to be cold that night? I would assume that's why. The the high that day, Greenville, I believe, is like fifty six or something like that. But the low that night is twenty nine thirty. So yeah, it's gonna get cold. I would imagine that's why. Okay. Yeah, I watched uh, Boston College and Virginia Tech this weekend. I think it was 33 for their last game, and it looked absolutely miserable. Yeah, Saturday was miserable enough. And, Jonathan, you were there, right? I was there for the entire – I got I worked 8-4 to four that morning, 
and I left pretty much right at four. Got there, I think, as Justin Wilcoxon came to the plate in the bottom of the first inning, game one, and I was there until 11, 15, whenever it ended. Wasn't nearly as cold in game two that you would think because the wind completely died, but that was a long day, and it. once I walked back to my car, I definitely had to thaw out a little bit. My toes went numb, my fingers went numb, but, yeah, that was a long day, but I was there. That was me golf clapping for you. Um, no, nah, but that's a long day, man. All right. Uh, yeah, that was not a fun day. Or actually, it was a fun day for ECU, but it wasn't fun sitting in the press box waiting for it to end. Uh, let's see here. Going through the comments section, trying to steer through a bunch of BS from Lucy Jones. All right. Josh says, damn, it's on Flow Sports tomorrow. Yes, Josh, I'm sorry. And it is on Flow Sports. So you're going to have to listen to Scooter, enjoy the PA, uh, or enjoy his call, play-by-play call. He's done an excellent job this year. Um, Josh wants to know, speaking of that, can we ask – this is a different Josh. Can we ask Cliff about only playing teams with streams and sound from now on? Scott, this has been something you've talked about for like two years now. Um I, you know, I'm not going to ask to Cliff in the middle of the season. He might throw his glasses at me. Uh, but this is a good postseason question or a good offseason question when he, he's not in game mode. And who knows if he actually cares about this stuff. But I, I do think it is worth, uh, worth at least thinking about. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at the number of teams that are currently on ESPN Plus, and it's, I mean, it's a lot. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many leagues aren't on there, maybe um, just whatever league UNC does, CAA, you know, because um, it's them and Elon. Those are the two teams that we played that have been on Flow Sports. Is that right? And, and it's not that I don't want to play these teams, you know, but it's just if we're going to play them, then let's play them at home so that the people who can't get out to the games can watch them. You know, I think our fan base deserves that. We've sold out our stadium for, you know, several years in a row now. You know, let's let's try to play games either at places that are easily accessible for our fans or that can provide us quality video coverage. Um, you know, things like sound, you know, I, I don't you know, video is cool. Um, sound is also great. Um, and if you're going to have them both at the same time, that's really the best case scenario. <laughs> We're back in like 1998. <laughs> Um, all right. I think about Christian. Durham when that dude just clacks those two pieces of wood together when he's called. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of, Christian wants to know will the game be on 94.3? The game tomorrow. Wow, that's a mouthful. It will. <laughs> um, the game will be on the game, so tune in. Kendra wants to know has Josh Moyland dropped quite a bit of the weight this year, or is that just. Uh, just me. I think he is slimmed down. He slimmed down last year. I think he slimmed down even more this year. And we got to talk about Josh Moreland, guys, because he is tearing the cover off the ball right now. And Jonathan, this is this is great to see. It was one of our preseason keys. We didn't know how much Josh Moreland would be back to his freshman year, but I would say right now, uh, he's pretty much all the way back. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I would definitely say he's all the way back. And I think what's interesting to me is I think his freshman year, Josh Moylan, he was such a good power hitter. And 
he was a good all-around hitter his freshman year. He His average was good. And last year, I think his bat fell off significantly, obviously. But last year, I do think his defense got better as the year went on. And maybe that's with him slowing down as well. But this year, I think he's all the way back. His bat's good right now. He's not hitting for as much power, but he's a really good average hitter. And a lot of doubles. He's a doubles power kind of guy. And, I mean, even last year when he struggled, he was still working counts, getting on base. Even if when he strike out, it, it would often be in a 3-2 count. But now he's he's still doing that, and now he's getting the base hits. The balls are finally the, – the hits are falling for him. And when he does connect to the ball, you still see he's capable of the power. But And now his I think his, his defense goes really underappreciated, what he does at first base. We saw it a couple times this weekend, you know, just diving plays on ground balls hit to him. But also, you know, balls thrown from the infield, you know, whether it's Amac at third, Barini at short, you know, a lot of those balls sometimes end up in the dirt just because, you know, quick plays and they're not, they're not easy to scoop out. And Josh Moylan, he, he does it every time. And if the ball's to him, he's going to hit it. But Josh Moylan coming in and being that, I think, Rising up to that cleanup spot, I think he was – I believe he was about 250, 260 at that time when he hit the cleanup spot. I think that was this week. And now he's hitting, I believe, over 310 again. So it's the highest his average has been since his freshman year. And, man, I think Josh Moylan – I think it's a completely different Josh Moylan we're seeing right now. So saying he's back, you know, maybe that's not accurate because I think he's completely different, and I think the team is way better for it. Yeah, he's, he's- not good. His approach to the plate has, I don't think, has changed a ton because he he did draw a lot of walks last year. I think it was at, a, I, lo- I just looked it up, but it was like a three fifty something on base percentage last year. He's at four twenty four this year, um, but the average is way up. He's tied with uh, Starling at three twenty seven now for like third on the team. And you know, if you look at some of the balls that he's hit in the last few weeks, have been crushed, but they've been right at people, and you know that's obviously unfortunate, but. Um, yeah, I mean, he seems like a pro hitter this year, and it's it's been great to see him kind of rise up from that that eight hole strikeout home run guy that he was at times last year to a legitimate threat in the four hole to either take you deep or hit doubles in the gap or pull one down the first baseline and you know maybe he maybe he had a triple this year right so you know maybe he is that weight he's lost has allowed him to even you know. Be a triple threat. He he led the team in homers, did triples last year, I believe. Yep, crazy. Nine fifty five OPS for Josh Moreland. He does have five doubles, a triple, and a homer. So seven. It doesn't even sound right, but seven of the sixteen hits are for extra bases. <laughs> it feels like he's just been racking up the singles lately. Um, so now that he's hitting for average, hopefully that power continues to come through. As well, uh, Buck Wild's got a serious question. We'll uh, we'll answer it in a minute because Brian Hatter wants to know: uh, Is there no ten run rule in out of conference games? Game three against Liberty could be over a lot sooner. It could have. I think the coaches have to agree on it prior to the series or to the game, and so I don't know like how that conversation comes up. But, hey, man, if we kick y'all's ass today, can we? Uh, <laughs> sorry, any kids listening. Can we wrap this up uh, a little bit sooner? Yeah, man, that's great. That's great. Uh, like, how does that <laughs> conversation come up? <laughs> um, but yeah, that has to be agreed agreed upon. Uh, all right, Lucy Jones, aka Buckwild, 
Serious question. Who has a better eye, Josh Mullen or Luke Nowak? What do you guys think? Josh Mullen. Yeah. But, I think Moylan yeah. is – I think sometimes his eye gets him in trouble because he takes pitches that are borderline and are probably balls but end up being called strikes because it's college baseball and there's 350 teams and there's not – a thousand great umpires, right? So, um, yeah, I would say Josh Mullen. Nowak did have a uh, five. Um, he was on base what five times with no plate appearances on the game two. Game. Yeah, so nine walks on the weekend. He's definitely up there. Five walks, which ties a ECU single game record dating back to nineteen eighty three. I think the guy's name was something Shank. So I can't remember his first name, but I laughed when I heard it. Um, if you're listening, Shank, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Josh Hill wants to know, when can we see Land again? So I was told he's likely looking at a 20-plus game suspension per sources. Uh, somebody told me 22. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But either way, going to be a while. Um, ECU has played 15 games. Is that correct? I suck at math. Yeah, 12 and 3, 15 games. So I guess a couple more weeks, it, you know, five yeah. games is coming a week, then a couple after that. So maybe after, um, maybe around the start of conference play, if not a little bit before. And he's another guy that has great stuff and hopefully can get back and kind of find his role in the bullpen because I think he's a guy who, who can really help ECU and uh, a lot going forward. Um, all right, let's. Let's answer these basketball questions we got, guys, and then we'll wrap up the show with our with our uh, predictions for the coming week. Um, all right. I can't even find it because there's so much mess in the comment section. <laughs> so somebody asked thoughts on Mike Schwartz's year one, and I'll just say I think from a expectations perspective, I don't think you could have asked for anything better than what Mike Schwartz accomplished. He basically did just as good as Joe Dooley did in his fourth year, if not better. You know, the net ranking was about the same with the strength of schedule. You know, basically the same record. He did win a conference tournament game. I thought he had maybe a little bit higher marquee wins. You know, they beat Toledo. They beat Cincinnati. They beat Tulane. Three really good wins. They won at Wichita State, which I would have never expected. And he did this without Javon Small for the second half of the year, really outside of the Toledo and Wichita State game. So I think the foundation set for the future. Obviously, the key is keeping them together, which I know they're working hard on and maybe adding a piece or two. But um, if you guys – do y'all want to add any thoughts on basketball uh, one way or the other? Mike Schwartz's first year wrapping up. Yeah. Was- yeah. yeah, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was really impressed um, with his ability to come in and develop an identity. Um, I think you know what you're going to get from us each and every night, um, which, you know, obviously the start of the season wasn't necessarily the case. You know, that South Carolina upstate game still haunts us because this could have been a winning season without it. Um, you know, you see the development of uh, Ezra, Ezra Osar. Yeah, I'm glad we don't have to say that name of the week, but um, – I love Ezra, by the way. But, uh, yeah, you, know, you see those guys develop. You see Javon Small develop. And then he goes out, and then Jaden Walker comes in. And, he, you know, it takes him a couple games, but then he develops into a scorer and R.J. Felton's ability to get to the basket. 
Quentin DeBoonjay's ability to throw the basketball off the back of the rim as hard as possible. So that was really cool all year. Um, maybe next year he gets through the weight room and those go in the in the hoop instead of off the back of it a little more, and we win you know twenty plus games. I feel like ECU had to lead the country in missed dunks this year. It was like <laughs> the hardest missed dunks of all time. Between Luigi and Quentin Dabunje, it was like three a game. Just like that's, clanking that's it off the back iron. Houston, he like <laughs> he, he two hand slammed it off the back of the rim. <laughs> uh, Wags, thoughts on basketball? I saw you in Minji's Coliseum several times this year. Yeah, I think to me, I, I look at the the individual improvement player to player. And I, I think Schwartz really, I think it really got the most out of just about everyone on the roster, given the circumstances. Javon Small was pretty much a non-factor last year, and he was an all-conference caliber point guard before he got hurt. And you look at Quentin DeBunje, I think he showed a lot of glimpses and really inconsistent at the start of the year. By the end of it, he was one of your guys starting and in the game when it mattered. RJ Felton turned into a dangerous scorer ups and downs, really dangerous threat. And, you know, Ezra Osar, obviously, freshman, he, he, he's special. I think he's going to be special. But, I mean, even guys like – I think Luigi DeVoe, we, we all joke about him. I mean, I joke about him a lot. But when you look at it and watch him play, he, he really turned into a player that made a difference by the end of the year. It's not going to show up on the stat sheet, but he, he was a presence down low, I think, defensively. He's not always going to, you know, maybe catch the ball when it comes to him. But I think Schwartz really coached him up well. And even guys like Luigi DeBeau, who might not be the most talented guys, Schwartz got the most out of what he had on the roster. And I'm really excited about the future. And I think Schwartz is the guy that's going to be basketball back. And I love the way he coaches. I love just like I said, how we got the most out of everybody. And there, there's a lot of pieces I like, but as the comments have saying, and we've said, now you just got to keep it together. Yeah, retention's key. Um, every player that returned improved their games. Brandon Johnson, Javon Small, RJ Felton, Luigi DeBow, David Kasong, and I, like all those guys, maybe I'm leaving somebody out, but um, all those guys took steps forward. And then you hit on Ezra, you hit on some other guys. They can add some more pieces, keep it together. I, I'm as excited about ECU basketball in the future as I ever have been. Uh, we got other questions about adding stuff in the portal. We're going to have some basketball-specific podcasts in the coming weeks. Otherwise, we'd be here all night <laughs> talking about <laughs> ECU basketball. Um, I am efforting to get like a season wrap-up sit-down with Michael Schwartz. Hopefully next week we'll have that to kind of talk about some of the things, keeping the guys together, what does he want to add, that sort of stuff. So I think they'll definitely go after a wing that can shoot, uh, maybe another guard that can shoot, and then obviously a big man as well with Luigi moving on. Um, all right, women's basketball, con uh, congratulations to those girls. Awesome season. They end up winning the conference tournament championship as the three seed end up making it to the third ever NCAA tournament in program history. What do they get? Texas rematch. <laughs> Super regional rematch in Austin. NCAA knows there's no rivalry quite like East Carolina and Texas. <laughs> and, uh, and we get a 10 PM tip off. So, uh, really excited about that. Can't wait to uh, to watch it at 10 o'clock coming <laughs> weekend. 
Um, can the ladies pull the upset, guys? What do y'all think? I think um, I'll fully admit, I didn't watch a lot earlier in the year, but as the season went on, I watched more and more. But I think ECU's defense is good enough to keep them in any game. It's just a matter of can you get the points to, you know, kind of replicate that effort that you're doing on the defensive end, but on offensively. So I think they can. I think they're capable of playing with just about anybody if that defense does come and do what it does, especially, you know, second half in the AAC championship game. But can they? Yes. Do I know enough to make a true prediction? No, I'm not afraid to just be completely honest and admit that. But I really hope they do because I I love Cam. I I love that team. I I love the coaches. Really good, like, people and – I like to see those type of people succeed and seeing Kim do it is it's really cool. And I really hope they can keep running, win a couple of games at the very least. It'd be really cool and really good for ECU. Scotty, you'll be putting some money on the uh, ECU money line. Uh, probably not. Um, but uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I think if, you're, if a team plays really great defense, they can beat anybody in the country. Um, but it comes down to can join or keep her head together for the whole game. Can Danae McNeil find space to hit those 15-foot jump shots that she's, you know, really good at? And does the shots fall? You know, I think I saw earlier that Texas shoots, you know, a kind of a high percentage from three. So if they fall in love with three early, maybe they knock down a couple early, but then kind of start missing them. You know, sometimes that can be a, a blessing and a curse for teams. But, yeah, I think I think we can definitely win. Um, I think we owe Texas one, so would love to – send them packing from their in their own house out of the women's tournament yep 10 p.m on saturday nights pirate nation will be tuned in those of us that could stay awake maybe we'll have a simulcast going uh talking about ecu baseball at the same time all right guys let's get back we're gonna be on the uh the clip brock chandler honeycut oh uh, yeah (laughs) get the live stream going just acting like crazy people yeah i enjoyed that (laughs) no uh you see a different Steven Igo during those shows. Um, <laughs> Sleeveless Steven. Yes. <laughs> Incredibly white Steven. Uh, no can up here. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry if I just blinded you all. Um, Caleb, by the way, before we get into oh, wow. our predictions, he says, Wags, you have 22 tweets over the last seven days, 3.14 per day. 0.13 per hour. I go tweeted over seven times more than you per hour. Time to pump those numbers up. Look, I'm a lot quieter on Twitter nowadays, but I do want to know, is that counting the tweets I've sent off during this show? Because I know I have tweeted a couple times in this show, but you know, I go, I'm going for you next week. I'm going to, we're going to calculate these numbers every week and I will beat you. That is my goal. Caleb said these numbers include retweets as well, so maybe you can just be like a spam bot and just retweet everybody. <laughs> you will catch up. So, Ooh. all right, he included today. All right, yep. There you go. All right, all right. We're gonna be here all night <laughs> if we don't start uh, start wrapping this up. ECU has another five game week. They open at UNCW on Tuesday. Welcome William and Mary to Clark Claire on Wednesday and then play three versus the Missouri State Bears. Jake Hunter going to get the start Tuesday. We don't know who's going to start Wednesday. Um, Quickly, we'll give kind of a a preview of the UNCW game, because I think this is always a good game. 
rivalry game. It's one of the baseball games I enjoy most that for the ACU plays. If you haven't been to Wilmington, it's a fun atmosphere. Uh, what are y'all expecting? You know, UNCW always plays well versus the Pirates. They seem to be giving up a ton of runs this year. So I would think it could be a higher scoring game. They seem to have a pretty good offense too. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think? Yeah, I think UNCW, I think I think they have a weird team this year. You know, at one point I thought they were down, but then they go and, like you said, they put up a whole bunch of runs. And I, I don't really know what kind of team they are this year. But like you said, it's always tough playing there. Those always seem to be the most frustrating games of the season for ECU, especially offensively, I think. They're one of those games where – Sometimes they struggle to score. Sometimes the pitchers can't throw strikes. Classic mid, classic midweek, I know. But at UNCW, it just feels like, and maybe it's because I've been to these games in the past couple of years, but the frustrations for me are just heightened. I don't know what it is, but it just always seems to play out that way. But I don't really know what to make of this UNCW team. But I think if Jay Connor pitches like he has been pitching, then I think ECU is going to be fine. Scott, are you uh, expecting the same? Yeah, you know, I I think a lot of your momentum is the next day starting pitcher, right? So if Jay Cunner can go out and set the tone um, as a team, we haven't allowed – we're averaging the opposing starting pitcher to go four and two-thirds an inning for all the games we've played this year. So if he can go out there and give us more than that and he's still in the game while their starter's been chased, I think we have, you know, a really good shot at winning. Um, just looking at their schedule, um, they lost 11 nothing to Georgetown and then beat them the next day. Um, they split a four-game series with Columbia, who just went to Alabama and won two out of three. Um, you know, they're certainly a team that can beat us. Um, you know, we talk about Wake earlier and scheduling. I do like the fact that we play these games against teams that, you know, might, maybe they don't have the resources or the talent that we do, but they can certainly beat you, and you do have to play at the top of your game to win, especially on the road. So, um, it's definitely not an easy place to play. Um, if Hunter can go out there and give us, you know, four or five solid innings, I think we have a really, really good chance of winning this game. All right, it is prediction time. We always close the show with our weekly picks. We're going to make Wags go last this time because he was uh, wrong last week. We were all wrong. I, I have, we, have either of us, any of us been right this year? I don't think we have. Somehow, no. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Three of us, and there's like five four games, four games. scenarios. So, what we need to do is all pick different things. Uh, as a result, I'm going to pick five and zero oh because I don't believe it's going to happen again. I'm just going to, I'm just going to predict it. So, if it does happen, I can be called a uh, a believer. Uh, so, Scott, what do you think? I'll go four and one. I think um, people maybe <laughs> underestimate uh, Missouri State and the uh, program they have. Their coach has been there. He's in his 41st season. You know, that's a guy that's got a lot of experience. It's hard to count out a guy um, like that. Um, the home of Ryan Howard and Bill Miller. So they've gotten players over the years that have been really good. So uh, they've been to Omaha, I think, four times, right? So, you know, it's a legitimate program. Um, maybe they still won from us on the weekend, and we win the other four. All right, Wags. So, I'm not going to lie. I, there was part of me that did think about going three and two again. Uh, for those of you that maybe didn't catch it last week, I did comment in the in the YouTube comments my three and two prediction. Couldn't be wrong. I'm not doing it this week. As much as I want to say – I don't want to say this, but as much as I feel like I should pick UNCW to win, I just think 
that ECU is going to win on Tuesday. ECU is going to win on Wednesday against William and Mary. And like Scott said, I mean, Missouri State's on paper, just looking at the name Missouri State, you probably don't think much of them. But if you don't think much of them, you're making a mistake because the program is quality. They are capable of coming in and taking a game. And I just think this past week, we pretty much saw a best case scenario pitching wise for a five game series. And, you know, with a little bit of a short staff with, I think Willie Lumpkin was out last week with arm soreness, but, you know, I just think, I don't think we're going to see that back to back weeks, pretty much perfect pitching. So I just think at some point, I'm going to say over the weekend against Missouri State as well. Um, they are going to steal one, so I'm also going to go with four and one. All right, I would probably lean towards four and one as well. I mean, I, I pick five and zero oh just to just to mix it up. So they're definitely going to go three and two now since somebody picked it. <laughs> three and two wouldn't be the worst week in the world. I mean, if you yeah. split the midweeks and you win two or three, obviously ECU would probably fall at 18 spots in the polls because it's you know. It's ECU, so they can't have two losses in a week without being penalized, unlike Wake Forest. Um, Caleb adds that Scott is at .119 tweets per hour. Didn't want him to feel left out. So. <laughs> I think I said three last hour, so I'm getting my numbers up. <laughs> Mostly complaining about the D1 podcast using the term Power 5, so we can talk about that next week. <laughs> The Big Ten is a power conference in baseball. I mean, what a joke if that's what they're referring to. Like the ninth best conference in college baseball, but power five, right? Yeah, I think the American might still be better than the Big Ten, sadly. Iowa lasted real long in the top 25. Real nice run. We all knew Iowa baseball was a true power. <laughs> Go Hawkeyes. Yeah. All right, guys, let's wrap it up. It's late. I'm tired. <laughs> You guys are too, even though it really is only 922. We could probably keep going. Uh, appreciate you guys for tuning in, dropping your comments, questions as always. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast version, highly recommend checking out the live version next week. We'll do this every Monday night at nine o'clock. Again, a VIP special going on this week on Hoist of Colors. Take advantage if you haven't already. Uh, as we will start that on Tuesday for the start of spring football practice. We'll be out there every day through the spring with coverage. For Jonathan, for Scott, I am Stephen Igo. This has been the Hoisty Colors Podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week.